0: Yes. Yeah, we'll sink in a second. But that's what just happened is an example of me trying to exercise some more restraint because I've noticed throughout the editing process that the way that you speak, whenever I think you're done saying something, that's usually not when you're done saying something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that probably is how it works a lot of times. Like, just now I wanted to put in a dramatic pause to see if I could accidentally catch you. Uh, And there's another one. Sometimes... I don't always say things in a very fast way. Or a very connected way. Man, good luck with that one. (laughs)
0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Rez, the show where we talk about various types of media. I'm your host, Riley, and I'm here with my good friend, Daniel. Hi. And today, we are talking about the movie Gravity.
1: Yeah. This is the movie that came out of our... So how would you describe our selection process? Sli- half random? Half not random?
0: Uh, It's... It's a random selection of a bucket, and within that bucket are items that we've already predestined. So it's, it's somewhat randomized. Mm-hmm. We randomly choose from a list of things that we know we want to do. Yep. And
1: previously, we, uh, we landed on that we were going to be watching some kind of movie, and I put forth Gravity for a variety of reasons, but mostly because I really wanted to see the movie. I really wanted to talk about it because it's a a pretty iconic piece of half sci-fi, half drama, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your impressions about it. But first, how did we do last time? Do we have anything that we need to address at the beginning? Anything we did wrong?
0: I was waiting to see if you were finished. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so normally at the start of each of these episodes, we're going to do some sort of follow-up segment in the event that we've said something wrong or there was a question left unanswered. Mm -hmm. Uh, And other people, presumably, if there are other people listening to this beyond just the two of us, they will tell us things that we should do follow-up on. But because we're pre-recording the first few episodes of this show, we don't have anybody else to tell us those things. So, there's not really much to follow up on, except for a question that I have for you after doing several hours of podcast editing on the first episode. Uh Uh, And that question is, have you actually gone back and finished playing The Secret of Monkey Island like you said you were going to?
1: This is, I feel like, a really good opportunity for me to explain how to the audience, I digest content, and that is so just, you haven't in a word, yes, I haven't. I have a rather large backlog of things that slide on and off of the backlog as I get really excited about about playing the game, seeing the movie, watching the show, whatever it ends up being and Secret of Monkey Island is definitely on there, but I put it aside for a variety of of other things that I needed to tackle for this podcast, for all that kind of stuff. So I will complete it. This has this has been ordained. Everything on that list gets
0: completed, but not this time. I'm. What's the thing that's been on that list for the longest amount of time? Ah. Uh, it could be Battlestar Galactica.
2: Mm. Could be.
1: It's I, been a while. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I told you or not, but I have five episodes left in the entire series, plus I guess the uh, the made for made for TV movie, The Plan. But that kind of doesn't, from what I had seen, that doesn't really fit in with the actual narrative of the show. Like, chronologically, so it it should be okay.
0: And it's been, what, like, seven years, at least? Oh.
1: I'm three years out of college. Wow, okay. Uh,
0: Yeah, we're old, man.
1: Maybe five years. I'd give it five years. Yeah. It always comes back, though. It always does.
0: All right, well... Good to know that in about six years I can ask you what you thought of the (laughs) end of Monkey Island.
1: I did also feel a little bit like, for those who haven't heard the episode, I guess I could could say I didn't complete it for various reasons, but we did talk a lot about uh, a lot of the pieces that I missed, so I felt to have experienced it vicariously, if you will.
0: That's fair. This isn't an inquisition or anything. You don't need to... I'm not trying to pin you down i was just curious if you had the fervor in you to go back and and keep playing or not as you mentioned cool um was
1: there anything else that uh you wanted to address from our previous podcast then or is that kind of it
0: uh that's it for me i don't have any other follow-up
1: cool then let us dive deep or rather launch ourselves into the world of Gravity. First, with a a little bit of an introduction for those who might not know it exists. So, Gravity is a 2013 movie done by uh, Alfonso Cuaron. I had to pause there for a second to make sure that it sounded anything like how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. It is what I actually call a space survival drama but kind of presented as a science fiction movie stars Sandra Bullock as Dr. Ryan Stone, a medical, well, medical doctor slash medical researcher who finds herself on temporary assignment aboard the space shuttle Explorer and George Clooney, who is Lieutenant Matt Kowalski, kind of her handler, but also commander of the mission. It chronicles their quest, or I guess, struggle to survive a cataclysmic uh, space debris impact that hits the Explorer while they're out uh, installing Dr. Stone's medical experiment aboard the Hubble Space Telescope. It also features the voice of Ed Harris, who I give a special mention for, partially for his role in Westworld, but from the bottom of my heart as the villain in National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. Mm. It's, uh, as I said, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, but also co-written by his son Jonas, which I thought was actually kind of cute. It's... Shows that they were both really on the same page for a lot of the, a lot of the pieces as we'll probably discuss throughout this episode. On top of the fact that it's a story about, well, Dr. Stone and Lieutenant Kowalski trying to survive this event. It's also a story about what it means to be in space as a human and what it means to try and reach for the stars as a species. I don't feel like I can say much more than that without getting too into the details about the plot, which we will discuss in the second half of the podcast in what we refer to as our spoiler summary. So I'll leave a lot of those details for us to discuss there. Now, I want to first check real quick, was there anything else that you wanted to add to the description of this movie before we dive into a few of your impressions?
0: Uh, Yeah, the only other thing that I would add uh, is just a kind of a little footnote about Alfonso Cuaron. You've got here in the show notes that he's the director of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Great movie. He's also the director of Children of Men, which is one of my personal favorite movies of all time. So I already love him and his work, and I actually didn't know that he directed Gravity. So whenever I sat down to watch it and I looked up some information about the movie afterwards, I was super excited to see that.
1: There were there were a few of those other little connections to, to some other really great films, which... Alas, we can't go too much into because that's not really what this episode is about. But Alfonso Coron has a pretty close tie to Guillermo del Toro through their various like productions they've worked on together. And I wanted to call out that this movie was made by Heyday Films, but also a production company called Esperanto Filmoi which I thought was hilarious because that is uh, the name, the the name of that production company is in Esperanto, the oh my world famous conlang that both Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Coron have a fascination with. I thought that was kind of cute. They helped make Pan's Labyrinth and uh, a couple other larger, not not like, I guess sci-fi fantasy type movies in the past. I heard your visceral reaction to Esperanto, and I apologize for bringing it up, but
0: it's cool to me. I'm I'm glad that you're interested in Esperanto. Awesome. Well,
1: let's get down to some gravity.
0: Is this whole entire episode going to be filled with puns about gravity? We should hope
1: so. First off, this is actually really important to me. Because I feel like it talks, it, it could say a lot about what you think of this movie. And what your experience was like when you watched it. hmm Did you watch this movie in the dark? Yes. Mm. How did you like that experience?
0: The experience of watching it in the dark or the experience of watching the movie? So I've only seen it once. I haven't seen it in the daytime.
1: First answer: How did you? How was the experience of watching it in the dark? And then, how did you like the movie experience overall? Did it affect your 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 enjoyment of the movie in any way?
0: The only time I think that I actually noticed. That I was watching it in the dark was was toward the end. And I won't say too much specifically, obviously, because we're not talking about spoilers yet. But there's a section at the very end of the movie where things start to become much brighter. Mm-hmm. And it was that transition that made me, like, my eyes hurt after that part. <laughs> yeah. So watching it in the dark, I, I get what you're getting at. Uh probably about a greater sense of immersion yes in in most of the the context of the movie, and I would say, yeah, I felt much more immersed in it than I probably would have been if I was watching it you know right now when it's still sunny outside.
1: I feel like one of the the important descriptors for for this movie is that it is kind of sci-fi it is kind of drama but it's also specifically a thriller you're trying to you're trying to feel everything that the director is trying to throw at you and i actually wrote down my very first note after i finished the movie was i should not have watched that late at night in the dark
0: <laughs> yeah dude my first note my so i've got up at the top of my paper here gravity first view notes and then there's a line under that to signify that that's the title of the page and then the first thing under that is wow stressful movie
1: yep i have a feeling that both of our decisions to we actually watched it in the same night so i i even though we were separate places i assumed that you also were in the dark and i was like "Ooh." This must have either really dialed things up for him or, or actually, that's just it. It, This probably dialed things up for him.
2: Mm Hmm.
0: Yeah, I was actually, whenever I finished watching, a little bit concerned for you (laughs) because of how stressful the movie was. Yeah. Were you stressed out whenever you finished watching this thing?
1: Oh, absolutely! I was
0: <laughs> just, I was, I was
1: destroyed.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that you typically don't like stressful movies, and that they can make you somewhat distraught. Yeah, is that something that you like? Were you trying to go to sleep, and you were just like, "No," the rest of the night.
1: It it there was some exhaustion that played into getting me to actually go to sleep that night. It was actually the day after when. Um, Rachel and I were, were having to do some business in Fayetteville, and on the way home at night, I was I was like, "Oh my goodness, I don't I I feel like I'm still being affected by this 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 environment. All the all the stars in the sky and all of the lights on the road are like not feeling the right presence when I'm driving. I felt a little bit disoriented, even the day after. Can we? Can you explain a little bit of of why that is? What is it that this movie was tr- or the the people who made this movie were trying to to make you feel? What were they doing to to make maybe some of that disorientation come out?
0: This movie is not one I would recommend watching if you have just eaten. And have a weak stomach. I would not recommend eating during the watching of this movie. Nope. Uh, because the cinematography is amazing. Um, and I think it actually won quite a few awards for that specifically. But the the thing that really gets you in the gut most of the time is that they, they place you very much in... Sandra Bullock's frame of reference for most of the movie yes and what I mean by that is is not just a, film, a filmic frame of reference like the character's frame of reference I also mean an inertial frame of reference so that whenever you're out in space everything moves relative to everything else yeah that's why there's, there's no gravity right Whenever you are just a person floating out in space, there's no up, down, you know, all of the world is no longer beneath your feet. So there's no there's no reference frame except for your own body and then the entire universe. And so in all of these shots where you are tied to Sandra Bullock's frame of reference and she is like spinning around wildly in space or going through some crazy maneuver... You are also doing that, and you're seeing the entire screen of all of the universe and the Earth and the space shuttle, and everything is just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like whirling by. Yeah. There's, uh, in the opening scene, I think it's one of the longest shots. Alfonso Cuaron is known for long shots, and I think it's one of his longest shots he's ever put into a movie. It's it's something like 13 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. and in that 13 minutes like the the ending probably 4 minutes of it are just complete chaos and Sandra Bullock is tumbling head over heels and you're tumbling with her and and it's it's moments like that i think that take it they they take you and really put you into the place of the person in the movie and as things become Believe it or not, more stressful than surviving a satellite impact throughout the course of the movie. I was I was actually sitting on the edge of my seat yeah. the entire time I watched this movie because of that. Because it just draws you in. They suck you in.
1: I felt like this movie did an, a, a very good job of making me feel clearly like... I was in a similar level of danger that Dr. Stone was in, which contributed to, like, you feeling anxious afterwards, the day after, and, like... But also, at the same time, being, like, very much a part of this story. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, like, an 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 exact mapping of onto her experience it's kind of like you're her parrot on her shoulder but also tumbling through space with a little parrot helmet on (laughs) going squawk squawk get me out of here get me out of (laughs) here
0: yeah and it's one of those i I liken it to uh if you've ever been on a, a boat at sea for any period of time when you come back to land and you get off of the boat, and the next day you're walking around and the entire Earth is moving like it's the ocean still, it kind of gives you that feeling. Like, after you're done watching it, you can almost still feel that things are moving in ways unexpected. Well, that's 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 interesting that you might not have quite
1: felt as... I'm
0: not going to say, like, I'm not going to
1: find this too negatively. As anxious about the movie as maybe I did, but you still experienced what I feel like the creators of this movie were trying to to make us feel. Just not to the same extent. Is that fair to say?
0: Oh, I was absolutely anxious through the whole entire movie.
1: Oh, okay. I see. Misunderstood then. Did that... We can maybe cut this part out if it's not really what how you want to go about doing things. Excuse me. But... Did that translate into you having a really positive experience about this? You can put this in terms of uh, the arm on scale, if you wish, because that's that's a you know it's a tried and tested way of rating things. But generally speaking, was it a positive experience because of that, or did it go too far with the way they presented the scenes and the story?
0: so the Armon scale for for people who are unacquainted we can't mention him on every episode of the podcast
1: okay let's say that somebody else came up with it then
0: okay so the daniel scale <laughs> of rating things is a seven point scale instead of the more traditional ten point scale because the ten point scale doesn't have a midpoint depending on if you include zero or not there's some intricacy here but the seven point scale is clearly superior many psychologists use it whenever they do tests of people's uh, behavior and mood and that kind of stuff
1: people who use the seven point scale have higher than 150 iq on average you know just make smarter people
0: i'm gonna let people who are listening decide if you said that ironically or not <laughs> I'm going to do nothing to alter the timing or the phrasing of what you just said. <laughs> uh. Wild again. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, that's something that I I thought a lot about after the movie. Is whether or not I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that... There's, there's almost this notion in my mind, at least of, of a creative work being good, but you don't have to like it. I see. And there are some things about gravity that I really, really loved, really enjoyed. There are some things that I think were in need of a lot of improvement. Lots of improvement. But personally, I am never, I'm, I'm all about pieces of work, whether it's a game or a movie or a book, being as honest as they can be and putting you as much in the experience as they want you to be, as much as you can handle it. So my personal feelings of anxiety and and fear and tension throughout the movie those things are not good they don't feel good but that's kind of the point of the movie and so i think to that to that end i'd probably give this thing like a five or a six on the seven point scale there are definitely things that i think detract from it as an overall work and i might not have been a happy person when i finished watching the movie but I think the movie is very good, and I think that what it's trying to say is important, and I think it's, it's good to go through that experience.
1: I want to put a pin in, in um, what you think the movie is trying to say, you know, to, to address in just a second. Um, but this is kind of your aggregate feeling. It's, it's generally net positive, but mostly because of what it was trying to accomplish, and not so much because of how you felt.
0: Right, and I think that that's true for, for many uh, movies where there's not a happy ending, for example. Movies that, that end in a way that's tragic, they don't make you feel good. They don't make you happy about what you've seen. But the work itself is telling you something, I think, important. And that's not to say that gravity ends in a negative way or a positive way. I don't want to mislead anybody by saying that, um, just to draw an easy comparison of of other things that maybe don't end so well. Like The Hurt Locker, for example, is a movie that does not have a positive ending in any way, shape, or form, but I absolutely love that movie.
1: I still need to see it. I feel like we we don't necessarily give anything away if we were to say that the ending uh how 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 you're supposed to feel about it is is very interpretive and that's that's cool with me at least i put this guy um I, I feel like i i've been able to to eke out with talking to you and some of our friends over the years about things that i'm probably more lenient with how i how i assess things i felt like this movie did an excellent job of executing on what it wanted me to feel, what it wanted me to think about things, what it wanted me to take away from it. So I, I give it six or seven. It's up there with, with some of my other greats that I've given sixes or sevens. But I also give those out maybe more than other people.
0: Literally every movie.
1: <laughs> we've just seen some good movies recently. Okay.
0: I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so by us putting a score on this, have we officially made this a review podcast? Not
1: necessarily. I just wanted to 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 get it like a easy digestible, it helps me frame exactly how to approach this with you. I feel like I cuz if it was if it was lower, I would have a few things that I feel like we could we can dive more deeply in on later.
0: But don't get me wrong I have critical things to say And at points it might seem like I think this movie is a 2 or a (laughs) 3 But I think that there are aspects Of this movie that are 2 or 3 I think the overall experience Is definitely a 5 or 6
1: So Back to that pin I put in Mm -hmm. You you kind of uh, Not necessarily a throwaway comment But you, you, you in passing Mentioned that you feel like This movie was actually trying to say something uh in the in the intro to this i kind of mentioned some some larger themes but did you agree with with the placing this this story as kind of a story about humanity as well and or was there something else that you felt like you got out of it aside from just a cool story about survival in space
0: are you asking, so so you think that this movie has things that it's trying to say about humanity in a broader sense?
1: I feel like that's definitely there. there's uh, it, There's some things that we'll have to that we'll have to mention in the spoiler section, but there are times where Dr. Stone is playing the whole human race. There's there's times where she's she's experiencing something that everybody experiences in like a kind of a story type way, but there's also times where she's just through her actions kind of pantomiming uh, elements of, of human existence. There's uh, we're probably gonna have to talk about them a little bit more because they're they're very very contextual to the story, but they they they're there at least in my assessment and i was wondering if you if you felt that same way
0: so what you're what you're talking about is whether or not dr stone can be used as a proxy for humanity in this in what this movie's trying to say
1: definitely as one of them and if there was anything else that you felt like you picked up on that maybe i didn't pick up on that were that were extra on top of the story themes or or messages that the creators were trying to get across.
0: I know I said last episode that I think it's very difficult to establish authorial intent. So I won't really try to speak on what I think the, the writers and the director were trying to explicitly say in this movie because I don't I don't know if they're really all there or not I do see like this is firmly a survival movie Uh, it, it definitely fits in that genre it's almost it's almost prototypical within the genre there's so many tropes of survival movies that come up in this thing whether or not I feel like Sandra Bullock's character generalizes onto to some of the more human experiences I it can be there I think if you read between the lines on a lot of the stuff that happens but this is where I some some of my discontent with the movie comes in is is a lot in the characterization of the people in the movie and the way that they relate to one another and Sandra Bullock's character, if that is the intent, I just I just feel like by not telling her story in a more complete and explicit way, they've actually watered down the elements of the human experience that she is there to convey. And, and what I mean by that is whenever she's going through these, these difficulties in the movie that are there to address character flaws the oftentimes you don't learn about the flaw until moments before she's addressed it or you don't realize it until you're looking at it in retrospect i think that almost the the primary objective of gravity as a movie was more about the what it feels like to be alone in space and then the secondary layer that was put on top was the characterization of Sandra Bullock as Dr. Stone. And and that characterization is very thin. And I that's why I don't feel like there's a lot of... If the movie's saying anything about humanity, it's very, very weak
1: in my eyes. Yeah, totally fair. It's actually kind of uh, ironic then if they were given 90-something-rather minutes with two characters... And you don't feel that they did a good job of, of at least explaining those two characters. That's definitely a flaw.
0: <laughs> it might be. Because I think I think what you're saying is, is fair in that... Not in the sense that the movie is necessarily trying to say something about humanity. But I think that this movie really is an experience. I think, as we both talked about, you know, you come away uh very viscerally reacting to this thing and what i think gravity tries to do is make you think about the situation and make you think about how you would feel if you were placed in Sandra Bullock's spacesuit because that like that's a very powerful thing to do Um, And so people are going to have different answers to to the questions that get posed in the movie. And depending on how much you've thought about those things, maybe you don't have answers at all. And that can be a, a scary thing to experience. I just think that by... It's kind of tough, right? You can't have a movie where you don't characterize the main character at all. But that's almost what you need to do for this experience to have the full... Impact that it can have. So I think it's it by the medium uh, of film, you're kind of hamstrung into this situation where you want somebody to have their own authentic reaction to what's happening, but you kind of have to prompt that through a very thin, watery main character.
1: Is this like a, a Master Chief kind of situation? Where you're, because Master Chief, the main character from the video game Halo, Because it's in a video game, the designer's main goal there was to try to get the player behind the mask as quickly as possible. And that meant not necessarily telling you much about who the Master Chief was. Is it that kind of situation?
0: Yeah, I think that that illustrates a really good... I would call it a trade-off between film and... And games is that in movies you can control things like pacing, character development, plot arc things that make a story memorable and relatable that's much much harder to do in something like a video game and that's why you see so many video games resort to things like cutscenes which are just mini movies embedded into the game whereas what video games have that movies do not is the ability to put you in the shoes of the person experiencing the events and and good games can make you feel like you are experiencing those events gravity is a movie where i feel like that's what they want to do is put you really firmly in the shoes of dr stone and experience those events but they still want to do it in a way that that they don't break you right like this movie is so tense they have to really carefully dole out that tension otherwise you can just collapse <laughs> into a heap yeah yeah and that there we'll talk about this later i'm sure but there are are elements of time skippage that happen in the movie that would be horrendously boring to experience if you were playing that in real time <clears throat> You're referring to
1: like whenever they're 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 traveling between a few places, and the the movie's only ninety minutes long, but the time scale for uh, orbiting around the Earth and hitting the debris field again is ninety minutes, and they do that like three times, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I saw those things too.
0: So yeah, I think that there's there's probably some stuff. That can be said about humanity but I don't know that it's so much overtly said as it is maybe just what you take away from the movie having experienced it yourself and maybe like was your reflection on this movie after you'd watched it that that you felt that you had a greater insight into or at least a different window open to you about humanity and the way that people struggle
1: I I can't again I can't get too much at this stage in but there were there were moments during this film where I did feel like, because of some of the things that that Doctor Stone was experiencing with her life, even outside of this, you know, tragic catastrophe, the thing that the that the the events in the actual movie, because of those kinds of things, I felt like it was specifically designed to say. You know these things that you've been carrying around for a long time and that in this particular moment are potentially going to not are going to make it so that you can't survive anymore. This is something that you should not have all the time. That you should try as, as hard as you can to not forget it, but to put it down take it off your shoulders so that way you can actually like go forth if you will this is also not revolutionary i i i don't i don't mean to say that it is but i felt like that was maybe something that i took away from it for at least two parts in the movie um which we'll get to later i saw dr stone like express the frustration that she has with, with what she carries with her and then learn to put them down, learn to, to, to keep on going and actually survive basically or survive as long as she like could in that situation. Right. So those were some of the things that I felt like I was noticing and I was just curious if, if, if you were if you were taking the same thing away from it, but it sounds like what you were experiencing was a lot more it's not exactly of course, but a lot more analogous to how video games can can i feel like put people into an experience rather than like giving the not giving but like providing hooks for people to feel things like I felt maybe is that fair to say
0: yeah, I think so like it was it was more
1: the movie was more to you like a portal into what it would be like to go through something like this than it was to reflect on maybe some things that like you deal with yourself that doesn't have anything to do with spacewalks and <laughs> debris fields and and the terror that 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 brings i guess not that you know about i i I can't rule out that you have survived the destruction of a space shuttle <laughs> and uh, and are here today only to reveal that you are Sandra Bullock, but...
0: I am actually George Clooney, and I'm on the International Space Station as we speak.
1: George Clooney, let's actually take a moment really quick to talk generally about our, our two main actors.
0: I, I did want to address a point that you, you had made about, it sounds like to me, one of the key themes that you took away from the movie that I thought was interesting was the, it's, it's a lot about what is the thing that you are, are carrying around with you that's holding you back in a lot of ways. I think I saw the reverse side of that coin, which is, to me, this movie is asking you, as a viewer, what's driving you forward? What's the thing? And I think this is something a lot of survival movies tend to do. But ask you, through the lens of the main character, what is the thing that is making your life worthwhile? Like, what is keeping you going forward on the path?
1: Because in these thi- in these situations, people can just, like, totally give up, right?
0: But yeah.
1: Something has to push them.
0: Right. I think that's part of the the formula of a survival movie, is the point in the movie where the characters think, is this really, do I really want to go through with cutting off my own leg? Is it going to be worth surviving <laughs> after I do that? And they have to answer that question, yes, or otherwise the movie gets cut short and you have a 45-minute blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that we both saw the same theme, but through a different angle.
1: Yeah, that is very true. I, I like your I like your coin analogy. It is really kind of the same thing. Yeah, you get the same thing out of it. You get them continuing to push the plot.
0: Right. <laughs> 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 Which is ultimately all that matters in the end.
1: Exactly. Re- really quick how did you feel about Clooney and Bullock? I've seen um, Sandra Bullock maybe only in one other movie before, but, I mean, I've had... The the other context I've seen George Clooney in is, like, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like, a very different situation. How did you feel like they did in this movie?
0: So, this is something that... This is, I think, the curse of a good actor, is that once you're... Once you are a George Clooney, and I will admit I have not watched many movies that Sandra Bullock stars in, so I can't place her the same way that I can place him, but I've seen a lot of stuff with George Clooney in it, and it's gotten to the point where when I see him in a movie, I don't think, oh, that's Lieutenant Kowalski. I think that's George Clooney. Yeah. George Clooney's an astronaut? He's not a fox anymore? Yeah, it completely rips me out of Of what's going on. Yeah. Um, So I have to say that honestly, George Clooney was one of the most immersion breaking elements to this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Totally fair. So in that way, I wish that they would have gotten somebody who was less recognizable. Or less known for being a character actor would have been good. I I had
1: actually seen Sandra Bullock... Like I said before, and I did feel as though she was a lot more, it was a lot harder to see the actress through her character for a few reasons. She had slightly different, I mean, she was in a space suit the entire time, pretty much. But she also like had shorter hair, was in like space jumpsuit thing. Like it just, just like a super different setting.
0: And they didn't do that with George Clooney. You could still see his face. You could still see his hair. He looked exactly the same as he's always looked.
1: Oh yeah, he didn't even have a head cover thing like you're supposed to do, did he? No. Oh well, yeah. So it was just George Clooney in space. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna break into to the ISS's three largest casinos all in one night. <laughs> <laughs> Who's with me?
0: Exactly. That's how I felt the whole time. Like, you've got to be kidding me. A part, like, not a part, on top of the somewhat egregious liberty the film takes at the very beginning with spacewalking and the way they introduced George Clooney's character.
1: It made him seem like a space cowboy, right?
0: Yeah, he was an absolute space cowboy. He He's riding around on this, so... They do this because it's important to the plot later, go figure. But he's riding around on this little space jetpack that he can just whiz about the the space shuttle while they're working on the Hubble. And he's he seems to be doing it at first for no reason other than to illustrate what a cool guy he is. Because he's also as this very important mission to alter the Hubble is ongoing, just telling stories and trying to talk to mission control in Houston and have a good old time. Later you learn that he's actually trying to set a record for the longest spacewalk, which, fine, that's a a decent character motivation to be doing what he's doing. I don't think that that would have justified him zipping around freely in space in this space jetpack. As we later learn in the movie, space is quite dangerous. And they wouldn't normally let you get that far away from a structure in space. So the way that they introduce him, on top of the fact that he's George Clooney, just, like... I feel that there was a better casting choice to be made.
1: Interesting. I didn't necessarily feel the same aversion to it. I, I can usually... I can usually play pretend like I'm seeing a stage play that that they're being a character, but i do I do agree that he was a lot more recognizable he the way that they wrote his character doing some of the 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 kind of not necessarily sillier things I think that there was an ulterior motive for for some of the stories he was telling, oh yeah, I felt like yeah, they were a bit silly, but i was I was probably I was probably okay with them.
0: I was okay with his attitude. Don't get me wrong; like I love the fact that he was there to provide some sort of levity in this otherwise completely dreary and challenging movie. I'm just saying, like he, it was it was hard to reconcile his presence there. What do you think about Sandra Bullock? Since she kind of she is the headliner of this movie, she carries a lot of it on her own back.
1: She is basically the only explored character in this movie. I I felt like uh, I really enjoyed her performance. Once we once we go through the 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 break and, and get into the sponsor segment, we can talk about those those moments that I was referring to earlier. That I felt like really, really told me maybe some, like something special um otherwise i do have one thing that i want to say about the premise of her character which maybe it's a little <laughs> bit nitpicky but yeah what the hell was she doing there right what, what, do, i remember that they sent a, a teacher into space or whatever but then her freaking shuttle exploded in real life like that I I think they they send astronauts into space and not, like, not fans
0: of the show. (laughs) Well, and the real-life teacher who went to space was also an astronaut. Like, she wasn't just somebody who got strapped into a chair and flew out into space. And Sandra Bullock says in the movie, like, oh, yeah, I had to go through six months of training and I did the whole underwater, blah, blah, blah. So she's clearly a, a certified space person but i think the issue that the thing that you're taking issue with maybe is the thing that i took issue with which is why is there a medical doctor performing an experiment on the hubble space telescope
1: there's gotta be like little compartments that like in all these big satellites they just shove stuff into but i personally didn't think that that in in a in a plausible scenario that she would have to be the person to shove it in herself.
0: Right. Like the thing that she's installing in the beginning is some sort of Lego computer module yeah. <laughs> that you just like, bloop, it's in there. It's not like a hamster in a little cage that you've got that you've put into one of these secret Hubble compartments. So that way you can run tests on hamsters, hamsters in space. You would send that to the international space station. Why the Hubble space telescope?
1: It's the it's far away. <laughs> they had to they had to get them far away. I guess so. They were probably and this is an example of it. Many situations where the writers knew, oh man, we gotta. There's there's several beats we have to hit here. One of them is we have to travel. Another one is that we have to have somebody that has to overcome something, and a normal astronaut wouldn't have the same. Like struggle that that Dr. Stone would have because they've done it before. That's supposed to be Kowalski's character, is the I've done it before guy.
0: Yeah. He's it's not his first rodeo. But if if that's something if if those are the criteria you need to fulfill, when I hear that, my first thought is not medical doctor. One of the reasons I think they might do that is because medical doctors are smart people, and so if you're a lay person just watching the movie, you have no interest in space whatsoever, you go, oh, she's a doctor. She's smart. She should be in space. But I think a much better choice, and it's not even a it's not even something that factors into the script later. That's why it irritates me so much. Like there's no thing that she does later in the movie that requires her being a medical doctor. So, like, they could have written her, write her in as an astronomer. Make her somebody that studies stars and, like, knows things about space and knows things about the Hubble Space Telescope and make her, like, the world's smartest astrophysicist astronomer who's, you know, putting a new module into the Hubble Space Telescope so we can do some crazy amazing thing. And and then your problem disappears. And I think you actually make the movie better in a lot of ways because... If you're a medical doctor, you're not as intimately acquainted with the terrors of space as you are if you're somebody who's in a space-related profession, and and that would give the character some real, like, going into the experience, anxiety of knowing just how big space is and what you're dealing with.
1: So, like, you're saying that maybe if they had changed her up a bit and made her, like, an astronomer, it would have there would have been, like, maybe a, a legitimate reason for her to be scared rather than just, like, a this is new, I'm scared. Exactly. That's fair. So, in the end, we had our space cowboy and our space doctor, and they had some flaws with their casting, with their design. Was there anything catastrophic? <laughs> or were they mostly like things that, that, that messed with your immersion or messed with your enjoyment?
0: It, it wasn't catastrophic by any means. I think that the there, there are other characters, like we said in the beginning. Ed Harris is in there. He's the voice of Mission Command in Houston. There's also a third guy on the uh, space shuttle mission who, Sharif? this is not a spoiler, he dies in like the first five minutes in this catastrophic satellite accident. The movie already, you know that you're not going to be attached to this person the way the movie frames things in the first few minutes. But I think that is it. That's who's in this movie. Yep. So it's a very, very small cast. And for risk of getting too far into criticisms of the overall movie's tone when it comes to scientific authenticity. I can leave it there.
1: I actually I actually feel like that's those are some perfect things to address with some spoilers. That way you can just go ham. I'm feeling like I'd like to start talking about some details or or did, was there any was there any kind of spoiler-free closing thoughts that you might have before we dive into our non-sponsors?
0: I think that this movie was really well made. Here, Here's one thing that we haven't really touched on yet, which is the, the things that this movie won so many awards for, which is sound design and visual design. The special effects in this thing are just breathtaking. They really are it uh i can't remember exactly what that
1: list of awards went to but there were 10 nominations and 7 wins of academy awards which is you know crazy most that's like that's like uh lord of the rings return of the king level sweep
0: yeah it was a huge huge award winning thing and it it's obvious why i've got the movie on dvd and whenever I put the disc in, I actually said, "No, I can't watch it like this because on my TV it was just a little bit too grainy." So I went ahead and actually paid to stream it in in high def, <laughs> yeah. so that way I could get the full experience. And I'm I'm really glad I did that because that's the movie is gorgeous. It
1: it looks like way more high definition than Space footage usually is and somehow they pulled off making that good like you could make it look really fake but it was they were detailing There was detailing everywhere on the outsides of of structures on the insides floating around the way light would go through things and then not even to mention the sound of the inside of the spacesuit I, i I don't want to say, I guess I, we'll, we'll talk about more things that happen and, and the sounds that they made like like in the, in the Soyuz and in the ISS. All of those very, very well done uh, in my opinion as well. Helped with the immersion a lot.
0: Yeah, and I think as a general rule, the sound design was just, it was very good. They did a lot of shots from the point of view of space where there's no sound and those like rather than i think flaunting oh we're in space there's no sound in space Ugh. they did it at times that were impactful to the story to moments when normally sound is what gives you the as an audience member a relationship to the climactic event that's going on they take that away and they make you just look at it and and want to fill that in yourself i think it's really impactful while also being justified.
1: I feel like the music which normally in in a in a lesser film would have would have filled those voids with like da, da 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 like like oh goodness it's Indiana Jones time things exploding it it was like it was very very subtle. I couldn't I couldn't name a single tune or or point to a single tune in there. I feel like they used the music in the perfect ways the perfect times like in the soyuz capsule to to like bring out some things that you might have forgotten like oh i had been i'd been kind of paying attention to the silence around me or the terrible structural noises around me i forgot that like this is still a story there's still something happening here and then that's when they hit you with with the music i feel like
0: yeah, you can credit a lot of the immersive quality of the of the movie to the sound design and the visual design. And, it, you know, another aspect of the... I think the casting choice of Sandra Bullock that was very good was how emotionally well-modulated she was for the things that her character was going through. She really sold a lot of the duress. You're talking about, like... A- very early on when she becomes detached
1: and she's she's just spinning and she starts to freak out, but like a normal actual astronaut would do, she got a hold of it and, and eventually was able to, to actually work towards being saved from that situation.
0: Yeah, and she does it a number of other times throughout the movie where it's just the... The, the mental state of a human in this situation is apt to break down and you can see it on her face. And actually, this is something that they, the filmmakers did intentionally to her, uh, putting her on sets alone a lot of the time, keeping her in isolation from other people so that during the filming of the movie, she actually, as a person, felt a lot of the same isolation and uh, tension and fearful qualities. Um, I think it really shows through in how, how she's able to sell the character of Dr. Stone. And something else cool that they did with the visual effects specifically, in a lot of these, uh, like the, the tumbling shot we keep talking about, um, she's tumbling head over heels through outer space, and the earth is spinning by her, and it's, it's kind of spinning around in her visor whenever you can't see it in the background. So it's it's somewhat visible at all times but it's very disorienting. The way that they shot that and a lot of other scenes like it was they had this this weird like three axis torso arm <laughs> that she was strapped into that was like you know flipping her around but to get to make it look like she was tumbling head over heels they created this room full of of, like, OLED displays that actually projected the tumbling earth around and around her. So they were filming, like, inside of this room with these these lights going on to make it the... It's kind of like a blend of practical and special effects. I thought it was really cool. I wonder how much of, of that actually made it into the film, like, the
1: actual OLED displays directly, and how much of them got painted back over. I, one little tidbit about that cage, by or about that room that uh, that I found earlier was that this is actually called Sandy's cage. Okay, I thought that was sad and happy. What does the that same mean? T- the The room where they were filming everything for her. Oh, they tried to they tried to at least until she was in the room, make her feel a little bit better about it by like saying, "Oh, it's 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 Sandy's cage." <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. I remember seeing that uh, a good portion of the shots had to be CGI for like actually placing the things, which to me is all the more impressive that it, that it turned out to be so clear and so clean because sometimes you just had to like put a face onto a model or the footage of a face onto a model and have still kind of film it as though she's actually tumbling and things like that but for the actual motions of her suits or whatever structure she's on those had to be choreographed and then and then synced up precisely to make that actually work well
0: yeah the technical ability of the of the filmmaking is really impressive so i think that's the last bit of non-spoiler juice I have in me.
1: Well then, prepare yourself. Because we're about to squeeze you that much harder. Oh god.
0: Before we do that,
1: I'm going to go to the bathroom. That's just a really good idea. I've drank all my water. I'll be back too. Okay.
0: Passwords are tricky. It's hard to memorize 70 different characters unique symbols, numbers, and all kinds of permutations one for every website. That's why we're very glad that today No Password is sponsoring the podcast. No Password is the password solution that strips away all of the difficulties around keeping track of your various passwords. It does this by taking every website that you've become registered to and deleting your account. Makes it very fast, simple, and easy to get on your Facebook, your Twitters, your Yelps, because you can just use the public free version like most people. No password provides. A 100% guarantee that they will never lose or use any of your personal data because they don't store it. They don't have any passwords. So thanks to No Password for sponsoring this episode.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Free Cats. Want a cat? I've got two. Want two cats? Even better. These models are guaranteed to be cute, but expendable. Also guaranteed to destroy you from the inside out. Remember the days of easy breathing and furless floors? Kiss those days goodbye by ordering your next pair within the next 20 minutes. Free cats. What have you got to lose? Thanks again to Free Cats for sponsoring this episode of Rez. So, let's take a moment to give a little bit of clarity to some of these things that we alluded to, some of these events during the movie, so that way we can talk about them in a little bit more detail, the things that we were picking up, things that we liked, we didn't like. Can you go ahead and summarize the plot?
0: Yeah. So, the the overarching plot of Gravity is as follows. As we've already mentioned, uh, Sandra Bullock plays Dr. Ryan Stone. She is a biomedical engineer from Illinois aboard the Space Shuttle Explorer, codenamed STS-157. She's up there with Matt Kowalski and a third guy whose name I I don't even remember because he's not in the movie for very long. He was
1: was super not in the movie for very long. But I believe it was like
0: Sharif or something. It was something like that, which makes it even sadder that they killed off the minority guy in the first few (laughs) minutes. Yeah. Read into that what you will. So the movie opens. We are floating above the Earth with the space shuttle docked to the Hubble Space Telescope, two of the most iconic Uh, space images in American popular culture and Dr. Stone is trying to insert some new module that she's helped develop to do something on the telescope where yeah, yeah, they don't give much justification for what it is or what it does but (laughs) she's installing it, it's important George Clooney as we've already mentioned is kind of zipping around in what you can imagine as a sort of uh, booster seat for astronauts where he's in like a little throne and he can zip around in any direction he would like by controlling a little joystick with his hand and then Sharif that's what we're just going to call him now uh, <laughs> is doing something else it's not really explicit what he's doing um, but he ends up having a good old time with whatever that is The movie spends probably six or seven minutes establishing you on these characters and what they're up there doing and why it's important, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking to Mission Control, Houston. While talking to Houston, they get interrupted in their uh, modification of the Hubble and are told that there has been a satellite crash. Uh, two, Two satellites have collided after, I believe, the Russians have attempted to take one of their own satellites out of the sky. This happens a lot in real life, where when a satellite's ready to be decommissioned, um, the the country that owns the satellite can shoot it down out of space. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a real thing. Yeah. So, the Russians shoot this satellite. It ends up uh, colliding with another satellite. And they're told, oh, you know, we don't think this will be a problem for your spacewalk. Just keep an eye out. But our current models don't show it coming anywhere near you. Then about five minutes later, they're told, by the way, uh, everybody take cover, because there's a a debris field of satellites coming towards you right now. (laughs) And so, of course, in, in dramatic movie fashion, all of the characters look over the horizon and see this cluster of orbiting satellite debris whizzing by at the speed of a bullet. It completely tears apart the spaceship or the space shuttle, sorry. Tigre. Yeah, I can't I can't say spaceship, because that's what aliens fly around in. Uh, tears apart the space shuttle. As we've mentioned before, detaches Doctor Stone from from the shuttle in her haste to try and, and get back away from the telescope. Um, And out of the the field of debris, she's kicked out into open space, very far away from the shuttle, far away from Kowalski and Sharif. Uh, She tumbles for a while, head over heels, and finally makes radio contact with Kowalski, and he flies out with his little uh, space chair, (laughs) picks her up, and they start making their way back to the space shuttle. When they get back to the space shuttle, uh, they realize it is completely destroyed. There's no way that they're going to be able to use it to get back to Earth, and Sharif has died. And the way that they find Sharif, he's had a piece of debris just completely blast through the front of his face. It's a very gruesome scene, and they see a picture of his kids floating there next to him and his wife driving, really driving home the point that the man had a family, and that family is something that's important in this movie. Then, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock say, okay, well, we can't get home using the space shuttle, but we can get home if we go to the International Space Station and use one of the Soyuz modules. I won't go into the details about how that works in real life but in the movie they're at the same orbital plane they're at the same height from the earth as the international space station and they're traveling roughly the same speed as it so as it's depicted all they have to do is use the space chair that george clooney is sitting on and tether sandra bullock to it and yank her ass across thousands of miles of open space to get to the iss
1: I think they even like point to it and they're like, yeah, it's right there. And then it like shines and you're like, oh yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's right there. Yeah,
0: you can see it off in the distance. It's, It's just a rock skip away from where this horrible tragedy happened. They mention that they have to get over there quickly because at the rate that they're moving around the earth, the debris is going to catch up to them every 90 minutes. So they say, we've got a stopwatch starting now. In 90 minutes, if we don't get there, then we're screwed. So, they put her on over to the International Space Station. When they get there, the whole journey over, uh, Sandra Bullock is running out of oxygen. And George Clooney is trying to talk to her to keep her calm and trying to learn more about her. Eventually, he learns that uh, she had, what was it, a daughter? She had a child. I don't remember if it was a son or a daughter. Yeah, a four-year-old daughter. Yeah. Uh, who died in an accident. I think she said that she just slipped one day out on the playground and hit her head and died. Very tragic. And that other than that, she doesn't really have much of a life. She says she spends most of her days the exact same way, getting up, going to work, distracting herself, going out, doing errands, getting food, coming home, and falling asleep and doing it all over again the next day. So she's she's coaxed into this I guess, trance like state to preserve oxygen, and they make it to the International Space Station, and when they get there, they see that one of the Soyuz modules has already been used to evacuate. The other one has had its drag chute burst open um, and is covering the rest of the International Space Station. And so they're like, well, crap, we can't take this Soyuz module to go back home. Mm -hmm. So they're discussing the finer points of this plan when uh, Kowalski's uh, jet chair runs out of fuel and the two go tumbling down toward the International Space Station and attempt in any way possible to grab onto it. You can imagine two people flying through space and they're attached at the waist to one another by a sort of uh, bungee cord clip thing. And so they're they're making their own little uh, orbiting pattern around one another as they're flying towards the space station, desperately trying to grab onto something so that way they can can stop themselves from flying out into open space. They get caught up in the drag chute from the Soyuz module that's still there, and. It wraps itself around Sandra Bullock's leg as George Clooney is flying out into space. And the the tether that's holding them together is somehow pulling on Sandra Bullock in the direction of George Clooney such that they have this dramatic moment where he says, I'm going to have to let you go. And he unclips himself from the tether which magically releases all of the inertia that she was feeling in that direction and sends him flying off into space uh, to die with her safely being captured by the ankle uh, by the Soyuz dragnet. And he, throughout her oxygen-deprived state, talks her back up into the closest airlock as they're drifting apart from one another. So she almost passes out and dies from lack of oxygen. At some point, he says, you know, you're you're breathing CO2. That's why you're starting to feel lightheaded and weird. So you need to get to the airlock. She gets in. Everything repressurizes. She takes off her suit and goes immediately to the nearest console to try and, and radio him uh, and cannot get a hold of him. He's just gone. So it's at this point. That we get some drama injected back into the movie, some fear for your life. And as Sandra Bullock is going out to the Soyuz, the International Space Station catches on fire. You actually see as she's coming in that there are some things that are burning from the last, from the first go around of debris. Uh, which have caused some internal, I don't know, canisters of something to start burning. Uh, and those canisters end up lighting a circuit board on fire, and a whole, you know, the whole module that she's in starts to erupt into flame. So she grabs this fire extinguisher. It doesn't work. It's not going to put every, anything out, but she needs it for later on in the movie. And she flees to the Soyuz capsule, the one that's got this drag chute that's uh, still tangled up with the rest of the International Space Station, um, and shuts the door and saves herself from the fire, and is now stuck just her and her fire extinguisher and her little tiny spacesuit in this capsule. So then she decides to detach the Soyuz from the space station, which involves a long and complicated process of disentangling the cables. And some very improbable slingshot mechanics, because (laughs) in this process of trying to disentangle the Soyuz module, the villain of the movie, the debris field, comes back around and strikes the International Space Station again, sending this whole thing tumbling in a way that you wonder why it wasn't tumbling when they got there. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Soyuz is slingshotting around because the International Space Station is going head over heels and it's ripping itself apart. Sandra Bullock is on the outside of the Soyuz with a a little magic drill tool trying to remove the clamps that tie down the chute to the module. Um, which she miraculously is able to complete without getting struck by debris. as Everything else
1: explodes around her.
0: Yeah, everything is blowing up. The entire International Space Station in some of the most amazing, wonderful destruction sequence in a movie as I've ever seen. She survives and gets flung out into space with the Soyuz only to learn that the control jets on it do not work anymore. They're they're out of fuel. It's at this point that she just starts losing all hope. She contemplates killing herself. She ends up getting on the radio with some random man in some country that I don't think they specify who it is or where he is. But uh, the way that this is all unfolded, they have not had any contact with NASA since the beginning of, of this terrible tragedy. Um, presumably because many of the communication satellites involved have been destroyed. So she's very, very truly alone and decides that she's going to turn down all of the oxygen in the Soyuz module and just let herself asphyxiate to death. At this point, George Clooney shows back up on the outside of the module and he opens it up and just hops right on in and the two of them have a rousing discussion about what what is worth living for and what uh, what demons of the past they need to put away and to get over. Um, and he basically convinces her that she needs to go on, uh, that Dr. Stone needs to go on living her life, because that's the best thing to do in this case, and that it somehow honors her daughter's life by choosing to continue onward. So Dr. Stone's convinced by this. He's like, great, I'm ready to live again but you're not real, are you? And he's like, I'm not real. And disappears. So she's jolted awake from her asphyxiatory slumber, turns all the oxygen back on in the cabin, and realizes that she can use the landing jets of the Soyuz to get to, uh, I believe it's the Tiangong, which is the Chinese space station, which is also conveniently within visual range of the International Space Station and the Soyuz module at this point, because the Tiangong has another lander on it that is somewhat similar to the Soyuz that she could use to potentially get home to Earth. So she waits until the the last opportune moment, because somehow the Soyuz that she's on, its orbital plane and and Vector is aligned perfectly with the Tiangong so that she's going to overtake it. She wastes the last moment to fire off these jets to put her in prime position to jump out of the Soyuz with her fire extinguisher in hand, use the fire extinguisher as as her own mini-jet chair, like Kowalski, uh, and latch onto the Tiangong, get inside of it, and try to find the the landing module or the, the escape module from it at this point, our good old friend, the debris field comes back, uh, attacks the Tiangong as it is falling into the earth's atmosphere. So we got a, a nice double dose of destruction.
1: Yeah, it was, it
0: was like, the orbit was
1: decaying because some system had failed on the Chendong. and so it was headed towards the earth anyway and that's why the it was kind of doubly doubly bad for the station that it was falling yeah
0: i was trying to remember if the actual debris field oh, yeah. came back around again i Absolutely. think it did at this Qu- point koroid
1: Qu- wouldn't let that slide okay
0: <laughs> he wants more debris right exactly so the changgong's falling out of the sky Literally falling through the Earth's atmosphere and burning up piece by piece. Um, Sandra Bullock hops in the the escape module and flutters on down to Earth in a very scary uh, scenario where the heat shielding is being peeled off of this thing because of the way that it's re-entering. It's all very tense. Um, I believe the the chute pops out just before she's. Uh, she lands in this lake that somehow she got the, the good fortune to land in a lake rather than in the Pacific Ocean, where you would probably land in this case. Or a volcano. And, or a volcano or something. I don't know, something else. But she lands in a very placid lake that's only about 15 feet deep, which is fortunate for her because as she opens up the the hatch to get out of the landing module Uh, water starts flooding in there's a moment where you think that maybe she's going to drown but she gets the gumption to pull herself up and and not drown through force of will and slide herself onto a beach and take a breath stand up and try to walk home yeah that's pretty much how it goes so a lot happens in the movie There's a lot of points of destruction, of am I going to die, of boy, I'm glad that this incredibly improbable, in some cases factually wrong thing happened so that I can live. Uh, And then ultimately ending kind of on on a cliffhanger, the real cliffhanger of the character's development, which is what does she do now that she's made it back to Earth?
1: How does her day-to-day life change with her baggage left in space? Her, her, like, emotional baggage. But then also, may I add, how on earth do you have a space program after this? What do you do if you got this, this horrific blob of space debris flying around Who's going to go out there in a shuttle and go, I'll try to clean it up and not get, like, decimated? What do you do?
0: Right. There's the question of what do you do now with your space program. There's also the question of what does anybody on Earth do anymore? All of your communication satellites are getting knocked out by this thing. All of your GPS satellites are getting knocked out by this thing. We're talking, like, complete communication blackout across the country we're talking, the military is going to have problems, every piece of infrastructure is going to have problems, like, this is an apocalyptic scenario to the way that people live their lives today.
1: It's, uh, I don't know if they were trying to imply that, like, pretty much everything gets destroyed, but there's enough debris where I'm like, it had to have been very substantial to all of, like, the, the communications and the and, and those kinds of things. I feel like you've touched on during that during that summary and just now on on one kind of contentious part about this movie. And I wanna I wanna see how how important this was to you. Several scientists after the movie came out, including our our homeboy Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is he our homeboy? He is our Lord and Savior, if we're an internet anything, obviously. <laughs> they they went at this movie for many things pretty hard. And I've heard you I've heard you make reference to some of them. One, is there are there any that's that really stand out to you as like super inaccurate? But then two, how how much does that play into your enjoyment of the film or not enjoyment?
0: So I realize that the way that I summarize the movie is not very generous <laughs> to how it presents itself. You'll have to watch it because it does a much better job of entertaining you than I'm sure I did whenever I was just passive-aggressively thrashing it.
1: Nevertheless, those are all legitimate like inaccuracies, I feel like. And you didn't even necessarily go as hard in on one of the points that I thought you might, which was... It was obviously a summary, but the way that she gets to the Chai the the Chinese station, is incredible. She She's <laughs> flying through, through space with just the one burst that she gave. Uh-huh. And then she times it so that way when she opens the hatch and all the air flies out and pushes her out into open space. Yep. It's lined up enough where she can course correct with a f-ing fire extinguisher. yep. so there's like there's some there's definitely some stretches there. I'm surprised that 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 one wasn't even like uh, as much on your mind as maybe it was on mine.
0: <laughs> there are a lot of things that are on my mind in this department that as crazy as that was. There's no reason why physically, I think, that couldn't happen. Yeah. Right? Like, decompression is a thing that would suck you out of the Soyuz if you aimed it just right and timed it perfectly, which you would need computers to do, but she's able to do it by going 5, 4, yeah. <laughs> 3, and then just on the, the airlock. You know, let's say that Sandra Bullock is is God and she is omniscient and she knows exactly when to pull (laughs) that trigger. She could do it. And then the subsequent maneuvering with the fire extinguisher could be done. So I'm not going to slam the movie for that because I think that it's physically possible, however improbable it all is. That's what movies are all about, or... That's improbable true. events that we get to witness.
1: That is true. I was more uh, referring to the improbability of it, especially the improbability that she would not have a heart attack. Right. But were there were there some other things that that really stood out to you that were that were scientifically inaccurate?
0: This is the the. I, I don't know if I alluded to it at the beginning of our discussion, but one of the things that I. Am conflicted about with this movie it does the thing that I hate in movies is when they open this movie opens with a title card that is like a series of text messages it's just like telling you little factoids about space it's telling you little factoids about inertia and and reference frames and whatever it's doing this thing to, in air quotes, establish credibility scientifically that, yes, this is a very science movie, and then it does like the fire extinguisher. It, it, the biggest thing that bothers me, honestly, is the simple fact that like all of these points in space that they're going to are wildly divergent in real life. Like, the orbiting altitudes of all of these things are vastly different. The Hubble Space Telescope is nowhere near the International Space Station, right? Right. The other thing that is something that I think that they did in the movie, that whenever you hear it, you don't make much of it, but when you stop to think about it, you go, wait, that doesn't make any sense, is that somehow the satellites... That were, in orbiting, that were orbiting in sync with the International Space Station. Because if they weren't, right? If this debris field was already traveling by the... Or if the satellites were already traveling by the International Space Station every 90 minutes, they would be going so ludicrously fast. It takes the entire International Space Station 90 minutes to go around the Earth. Right? These things are supposedly passing over it every 90 minutes? <laughs> or even close to it. Right, and they're doing this pre-explosion, pre-total satellite destruction. So everything is, is spinning around the Earth much faster than it is today. And those things bother me. But I understand why they had to do them in order for this movie to have a plot. I just wish that the movie wouldn't try to establish itself as being scientifically literate if it wasn't going to go all in on that.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, there's I I can't I can't think of an example right now, but there's been a few movies who have managed to pull that off even even with like a a, a space or sci-fi type setting. Uh, but this isn't necessarily one of them.
0: Right. Something like Interstellar that is much more sci-fi. Oh yeah. It rides that boundary of like this is science ish. It's not really scientific, but it does it takes elements of science and and turns them into plot points. Um, and I think that that's a fine thing to do. but with gravity, this is trying to be much more like this is a real thing. these are astronauts, they're up in space, and here's how this would feel. Um, and that it just does like these wacky things so that's my biggest uh i think issue with the movie scientifically is just the fact that the movie tries to sell itself as being much more scientific than it actually is
1: was that a distraction that kind of led to your conflict about about various parts of this movie
0: i think it would be pretty adolescent if i got distracted by that throughout the entire movie like The character growth that they try to have, the point that they're trying to make, the experience they're trying to put you through is much more important than all the scientific inaccuracies they have throughout the movie. I will say that some of them are are egregious, like the whole thing that uh, with George Clooney supposedly pulling Sandra Bullock off of the International Space Station just by existing... (laughs) And then the moment he unclamps that that force is gone. That's not how that works. There's nothing about that scene that makes any sense. It bothers me when they do things in movies that could have made more sense. And then they just chose not to or they didn't see that that was an option. So they didn't do it. So, you know, it's stuff that like I was thinking about it when it came up in the movie. But it didn't, I, I think... Diminish the the integrity of the story itself and the experience itself that they were trying to sell. It just made me think about ways that I could have done that more realistically. I see. I see. I get you. Hmm. I don't know. Was it stuff that you thought about? Like, did it did it distract you throughout the the course of the movie?
1: I feel like this is a good moment to remind everybody that that anxiety levels during this movie were like through the roof just because things were happening so <laughs> it I that was so far back into my mind while I was watching the movie I was I was like holy shit this thing is happening oh my goodness oh my goodness ah! <laughs> uh, and then and then afterwards I was able to think about like yeah, yeah who, who would who would put the who would put the the space stations that close like like that sounds I wouldn't do that like <laughs> or like uh, why why can't they make gloves easier for grabbing things? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that. That was more <sighs> after the fact. Okay. That's 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 good. That's good to, to to get that clarity from you on. Going back to to some of the moments that we were alluding to before, uh, I feel like I can I can now we're in in spoiler territory. I can kind of refer to the the first moment that I felt like dr stone was was having some kind of transformation that resonated with me was when she first got onto the ISS and she actually had air she actually was able to like function because she was towards the end of her rope literally and figuratively um, before that and when she got on there i feel like it was the first i'm gonna say quiet but there's there was so much silence in the space type thing that kept happening but i mean like the first time that she was able to breathe uh, she was able to kind of like start kindling these 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 thoughts and these feelings that she's been having about her very recently uh, lost friend that she made in Kowalski, but also her long ago loss in her daughter, both of those kind of coming together. There were some, in my opinion, fairly fairly good moments of her just like looking like she was going to fall asleep. But, like, I kind of interpreted it as uh, almost, like, a meditative, but not exactly, like, explicitly that. She wasn't, like, folding up her, her legs and, and burning incense or anything. But it was it was a moment for her to, to take a deep breath and go, oh, my goodness, it's just me. And it's just what I have with me. And I need to get out of here.
0: Yeah, you, it sounds like you much more strongly... Related to her character in the moments that she had to herself. It's because
1: secretly uh, I am Sandra Bullock. Glad we've got that cleared up. The second moment that she was able to have, that uh, uh, that she experienced was in the Soyuz capsule. And actually, I think this is the most important scene in the movie. That was whenever, as you were saying, she was trying desperately to get help from mission control and then she was losing faith in her ability to make it out alive and she started to think about well can i just end it and join my daughter and just give up right and then she has the premonition of kowalski who comes in and tells her oh yeah you just have to you have to pick that goblet um you have to you have to do this thing to get out and then she tells and then she kind of like realizes you're right I do need to I, I can make it out of here I've learned a lot I can make it home alive and and live on and actually live a life worth living instead of having this this emptiness or or pit in her in inside her about losing her daughter and she actually tells uh um kowalski to say hello to her daughter when he gets there whatever afterlife there is so those two i felt like were 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 really powerful to me at least moments where yes her specific situation kind of shown through but ultimately i feel like for completely different reasons and completely different situations, like I could put myself in her shoes. Mm. And that's where I felt like it, it became more than just a story about her.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about that Soyuz scene. Cause I agree. I think it's very important to this movie. What did you think about the reason that she found to keep going? The premonition not the premonition, so she, so Kowalski shows up, and she's chatting with him while she's slowly running out of oxygen in the real world. In her mind, she's doing this whole, oh, I'm talking to the guy who I miss right now thing about my daughter, who I also miss right now thing. What do you think about the way that Kowalski convinced her to keep going?
1: I'm not a hunter, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, so you might need to remind me but i i I just remember him to the effect of this is something that your daughter would have wanted. am I getting that right or is was 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 it different because I don't explicitly remember this
0: I think that that's an important thing that you don't explicitly remember it because I also don't really explicitly remember it. I remember it kind of like you're saying as being a vague, like, do this for your daughter, like, that you should keep living your life because that's, you know, in some quasi-mystical way what would have made her happy. How does that... How does that connect with you? How does that resonate with you? The whole... In a more... I think uh abstract sense going through all of this struggle 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 you've got this moment where you're thinking should I really just end it and then you're told by your inner subconscious no there's some some unfinished business that you've got to keep going on for like how does that how does that answer to that question resonate with you I feel like talking about this, I actually am kind of forming a theory on this. And
1: perhaps the fact that I can't remember and you can't really remember exactly what the specifics were makes me feel like in that moment it became a lot less about like her specific situation and more about thinking about all of the times where I've not wanted to die, but more like I want to give up on something. I feel like that was more what what triggered it was experiences that I've had with with not necessarily loss that's like that's like stopped me from accomplishing things but more like failure that has gotten in the way of of not surviving but thriving cuz I haven't obviously lived the same life as Dr. Stone um I think that there's there's moments where you have to like, you're hitting a wall, and you don't feel like you can actually do what you need to do. And many times you might think, wouldn't it be great to have George Clooney come into my room <laughs> and tell me, you can do it and you should do it for this reason. And what i feel like resonated with me is that in real life you don't always get that sometimes you do just straight up give up and had i been sandra bullock i would have just asphyxiated and died but mm. <laughs> but it, it's really it really is is a good feeling to to be able to like imprint that experience into this movie and then see her decide i'm going to keep going i'm going to gonna do this thing that I know that I need to do even though I've I've hit walls all the way here I'm gonna keep trying anyway and relating that back to subconsciously like times where in that same kind of headspace I decided I'm gonna to try to keep going I'm gonna keep doing the thing I don't know if that make like if that expresses exactly how I was feeling there but that's that's maybe the most concise way that I can say that. And I know that you were saying earlier that you prob- you had less of an emotional connection to this movie. But, generally speaking, but can, can you see what
0: I'm saying there? I hope I didn't give you the wrong impression that I didn't feel anything while I was watching this movie, because I absolutely did. One of the points where I felt the strongest, I think, emotional connection was that Soyuz module scene, because this is something that, that I wonder about a whole lot. The movie asks it in, in kind of the what is driving you to continue living way, but it's basically underneath, I think, asking the question, what makes life worth living? And it's a question of purpose. What is your purpose? Why are you doing anything? Why are you choosing purposefully to continue on with the things that that you dislike? What things do you enjoy that make it worthwhile? And I think that the way that the movie answered the question, to me at least, was very, it was depressing. Because the only thing that changed that I could see was that George Clooney showed up and injected a breath of fresh air into Sandra Bullock's character by saying, no, I believe in you. You can do it. How dare you give up? Like, you got to keep going because you've got life and you need to cherish it, right? Yeah. In a way, it almost felt like She was being shamed into continuing living. Mm. That like, nothing has changed for her in her outward situation, right? She's going to go home and the trauma that she has experienced out of this ordeal. I don't think it would make her a stronger person. Having seen the characterization of her in the movie, I think that the trauma of what she went through would haunt her. And, and make life very difficult to live afterwards. So in a lot of ways, I think the the core inspirational, uplifting part of the movie made me very sad and very, like... Like, I, I kind of wish that she would have just let it happen in that moment because I, I don't think that things were going to get better for her.
1: I actually wrote down as well um, that... I genuinely believe that that Stone might meet the same fate in that moment. That she might have just let go. And that, as you're saying, might have been a better outcome emotionally, right?
0: Yeah, like this is the thing that whenever I say that there was kind of a... An ankle-deep characterization of Stone. This is where I wish they would have gone much, much deeper. Because if the movie is about what motivates you, and what drives you as a human in your day-to-day life, they they drop the hint that the first guy had a family that died, right? With the picture. Then... Stone tells Kowalski, yeah, I had a daughter. She died. Doesn't mention really anything about the person that she had the daughter with. So presumably they're out of her life. And then you go from that to we're talking about what makes life worth living because I am literally trying to kill myself in this moment conversation. And then you decide not to kill yourself. And then after that, all of this tension evaporates away. Uh, It's it. you get no more insight into how Sandra Bullock is feeling, how she's reconciling the idea that she's coming back to this planet to live an everyday life in the face of what she's experienced and and how getting over the pain of losing her daughter Makes her a stronger person. You get, you don't see any of this characterization, so you're just kind of left with, uh, I think, a sense of like, what is she feeling? How is she? How has she coped with all of this? And and what is making her want to continue?
1: I feel like I'm getting the impression that, compared between you and me, I might fill in. A lot more gaps with pieces of my scattered memory when I'm watching these kinds of things, and and not necessarily in ways that make sense for the movie. What do you mean? Whenever I I was just talking about like bringing in my own experiences and kind of exp- and like thinking about that in a lot of ways more than. Uh, Stone's situation for that for that scene and for other scenes. I'm wondering if that's just a characteristic of how I watch movies and and media in general. That might be that might be different than how you experience it, which is not a bad thing. Obviously, I'm just wondering if that's like an explanation for for the difference that we're seeing. Do you think that might be happening?
0: I think that could be part of it. I'm looking for the text to tell me what it thinks that the meaning should be. Like, I'm looking for some justification in that character. That here is the meaning I have found. Here's the will I have to continue going. Just because I don't I don't want to superimpose that onto that character. And in a lot of ways, it's a question that is very difficult to answer in your own life. I think this is actually really cool that,
1: that this, this movie has given us an example to to kind of expose that, but I don't necessarily know that I would have, I would have described that as, as your way of, of experiencing movies, books, etc. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. And I'm actually surprised at, at the way that you layer in your own experiences with the movies and, it, can you tell me more about what experiences in your own life did you think of that made this richer, that filled in some of those gaps and that let you, I think, come out maybe with a more positive outlook on her situation by the end of the movie?
1: Uh, let me see here. For for specifically, like, the, the needing to let something go in order to move forward, feeling... That was like day to day life in college sometimes, <laughs> and it was it was it wasn't people that I needed to let go. it was more things like things I was anxious about or mistakes that I had made that caused me to be in 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 a bad situation, usually around like deadlines because. I'm sure. I'm sure you remember, and you might have experienced even yourself. Procrastination is a hell of a drug. <laughs> so, that I feel like is is definitely one of like the more visceral things. Even though, what did we say earlier in the podcast? We were we we're five years out from getting Battlestar Galactica in college. I feel like I still have like those sorts of feelings lingering around around the anxiety of of needing to perform and 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 accomplish what I'm what I'm trying to like what I'm trying to finish say the honors project or oh my goodness the the capstone project
2: oh man yeah
1: yeah like the real the real stuff that way that we that we got caught up in or at least that I got caught up in I guess because this is like how 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 my experience was. And so there were a few of those where yes, I actually like managed to make it through. Specific one specific one was uh, I had uh, I had what was that concurrent computing with beavers. It was a pretty small class and there was there was an expectation set early on that you're going to be doing a few like solo projects and then present them in front of everybody and then have Dr. Beavers who you'll know and maybe other people will know is like he's a hardcore dude have have him like walk you through that situation uh, walk you through and like critique you and 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 grade you very strictly and i remember at least one of the projects crashed and burned so badly and it's one of those things where I would joke about in the past like repression time <laughs> but this was like real repression time like you don't you don't you don't ever think about this ever again but there was one where I did manage to like get it done like actually actually have have cool results and all that sort of thing and like presentation went well and, and beavers at least didn't have anything to say instead of <laughs> a lot to say, <laughs> which is what what people normally experienced there. And that's maybe of, of things where those feelings come from where whenever I had to do that, especially towards the end, like it's it's do or die. this, this program that you're writing has got to work. You've got to have these results. you've got to have a presentation. And in the end, that was one of the ones where I managed to overcome the procrastination, the anxiety, and I made it. I landed. And so that's maybe like a concrete example of something from my experiences that wormed their way into things like this, where especially I guess if if we're 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 talking about... A story where there's some holes in 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 the the deep like there's some of the details are missing. I feel like maybe I watch movies in a way where my experiences will fill those holes and make me feel maybe what was intended to be felt but didn't quite get executed on. And yeah, that's that's why in this moment at least I was like, man, I, I have so many things to relate to here because. I felt like I had been, I had been in a similar kind of situation before. One thing that I don't know if I've talked to you about is uh, uh, what's his name, Bo Burnham's new movie. I think it's called Eighth Grade. He did an interview uh, <clears throat> where he was talking about it, and the the story is generally a, a, a showcase of life as an adolescent, as an eighth grader. And it's supposed to make you feel the the same feelings about going to ask out your crush that you feel when you watch, like, some fantasy movie where a hero is going to slay a dragon. He likened directly in that interview those experiences as being the same level of intensity for at least in his context kids where in real life when he was in 8th grade or when other kids were in 8th grade maybe including myself that would have felt like conquering a dragon taking on something that that might be mundane to some people or, or adults generally is is literally like going and and conquering a great and mighty foe or, like, getting through a great trial. And that same kind of thing, I feel like, comes out for me in these kinds of movies. Sometimes whenever I, I'm watching something and I see, like, Sandra Bullock about to asphyxiate herself and she just doesn't know exactly what what she has to do, I end up thinking about how I had to let go of those feelings of anxiety and those those habits to just give up or to do the least necessary to get by whenever i was in school and it maps really not cleanly but like seamlessly into while i'm watching the movie and i feel those same things and i fill in blanks that that you're pointing out that you're like that that really stuck out to you when you were watching
0: So are you in the moment thinking, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this project that I had with Dr. Beavers. Is it that level of, of recognition emotionally or is it more whenever you retrospect, you think about all of the different things that kind of fill in those gaps?
1: I think that it's probably a lot more of while I'm watching this, if there's a gap, my i recall those emotions i recall how i was feeling in this in this like similar moment without thinking about it explicitly and then it's in it's in retrospect where i go oh it might have been because i was feeling that way
0: in that moment or it
1: it, it might have been because of this experience that i had
0: yeah that is really fascinating i think it's a tremendously different way to watch a movie than I ever have. Um, Because I I think I watch movies very empathetically. So I try to feel what the character on screen is feeling, which is why some of these resolutions make me, or non-resolutions make me very upset. Is because if I'm Sandra Bullock and I'm feeling the things that she's feeling in that moment, and I'm having this experience, I'm going to want to suffocate. Right? Given the, given to me what the movie provides, I wouldn't find in her position life worth living. And it's one of those things that it's just, it's very, very deep sorrow whenever you're watching this and you're empathizing and you're, you're feeling that need to let go and that need for her to just take a breath. And it's so, like whenever she makes it into the international space station it's so relieving and it's so gratifying because in that moment you feel what she's feeling and you feel the the tension at least for a moment disappear uh but for me the the overarching question of of what is giving you hope where is your hope in life coming from in her character's, through her character's eyes, I don't see it. And that's why it kind of left me with such a, a bad taste in my mouth of like, oh my god, there's just the world's in chaos right now, you've got no daughter, the guy that you just made good friends with died, you're in the middle of a lake in some random place. It's it's one of those the movie's trying to say, at least you're not dead, but it's like, <laughs> man, I really kind of wish I was dead. Yeah. Instead of this. And I don't mean for that to be like a big downer, but it's all to say, like, I wish the movie would have given me some flash of insight that she had near the end that that made her be like, this is why it's all worth it. Like, you know, maybe she's decided she's going to go adopt children from a third world country that don't have any chance of making it in life. And she's going to give a kid the same you know experience that she had of thinking there's no way i can cut it in this world and then finding life and clinging to it like that would be for me a really powerful way to take this character who's experienced some of the worst things you can experience in life and make it a positive thing for somebody else but instead they just kind of leave it open
1: that that's actually I, I feel like a really important question that I also had down on here. And it sounds like Do you think that this movie warranted an epilogue? Like like could it have could it have been better with an epilogue to show where she went and what happened to her?
0: I don't think it necessarily has to be an epilogue to tell that notion of the story it could have been something that like came up in
1: in in her experience with Kowalski for example or or, or something or she just even just said out loud like man this really changed me
0: like <laughs> and yeah yeah it could have been something like so she's whenever she's entering this whole dream sequence or Kowalski shows up she's listening on the radio to a guy named Anigong like just sing lullabies It could have been something as simple as in that moment, recognizing that there are other people that are going to need her help on Earth to live a better life. That she could have latched onto and in that dream sequence gone like, oh my gosh, I bet there's a small child out there somewhere in a village like Onigong's that's going to die today. And I can go and help prevent that. Like that's where I can find meaning in my life. But instead of any of that kind of revelation, she just like chippers up and says, "Okay, daughter in heaven, say hi to my friend in heaven that just died <laughs> too." It's it's just depressing.
1: I f- is I I I think I see like I think I see what you're saying about this. Not that like I saw it this way clearly, but I think I see what how you were watching this scene. Were you seeing it like? <clears throat> me. like you were playing out the movie in your head while you were watching it too and that was kind of like and that's why you were you were following the story and when you would hit something that doesn't necessarily compute you were like you took note of it
0: i think maybe a, another way that i would phrase it the way that i view it at least is whenever i'm watching something or whenever i'm consuming any form of media while I am watching it or reading it or playing it I'm trying as, as best I can to put myself in the shoes of the person experiencing the thing when there are moments that don't seem authentic there's friction friction can come from all different angles and I think one of the ways that this movie you know, aside from all the scientific inaccuracies, one of the things that really graded on me was the way that they characterized how Sandra Bullock decides that life is worth living. Because it doesn't seem relatable to me. It doesn't seem understandable. Like, imagine it this way. If you're working the suicide hotline and somebody calls you and says, I'm going to kill myself. Because I don't have a daughter anymore, because my best friend just died, because everything in the world has gone wrong, literally, and you have to talk that person down from suicide? Are you going to say, man, I can't believe you're giving up. You really, you need to buck up, kiddo. Get on out there and make a difference. Make the world a better place. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, that's not like whenever I'm watching this, I'm thinking, how do you how do you prevent this person from doing this thing? And in real life, I don't think that the way that this unfolded would have worked.
1: Quick side note to to your example, to to your metaphor. Um, I was imagining that that your solution you would tell them is, yeah, it sounds like you should kill yourself. (laughs) I know that's not what you're saying, but...
0: (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. Completely not. (laughs) And if you're struggling with that at all, that is not the answer. I'm not suggesting that that's what you should do in any capacity. But I think that that the answer is highly individualized. It's highly... It's something that takes a long time to be okay with. It's something that you have to internalize and believe and have faith in and find hope from. It's a very big, complicated thing that I think the movie glossed over and left me feeling worse for it.
1: Yeah, specifically, you feel like it did not answer that question adequately. And had, had, had you been on the suicide hotline and given them this answer, it wouldn't have worked.
0: Yeah, it, it, to me it doesn't pass the test. Fair enough. Wow, this is a very interesting
1: distinction I feel like that we've found here. To to your actual points by the way, I think that it is worth noting that I do agree with you that there there was a bit of a a hazy explanation that was given in the script for this question i i just think that the way that i coped with actually experiencing the movie not coped with it sounds like it's a it's a drag <laughs> the way that i i dealt with it was 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 this distinction that we're finding we just we we're experiencing this movie in slightly different ways and that's that's super cool to me more more cool than talking about, like, should she or should she not have? Like, this, just, this speaks to who we are. That's awesome.
0: Right. But I think the way that you're watching it, I want to say, is completely legitimate. I think it's totally a good way to watch movies. And I think, in large part, it's what the filmmakers intended you to do in this movie, is to put yourself in her shoes and come up with your own reasons for feeling this way and then not feeling this way, like getting yourself out of this bind. Um, So in that sense, like, I feel that it it seems to me you're a much more willing participant in the movie um, than maybe I was. (laughs) I know this also isn't what you meant by that statement, but
1: (laughs) I don't know that you have ever been a willing participant in anything related to gravity.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's, no, you're, you're right. Can I mention one, one final peeve about the movie? See, I told you that at the beginning of this conversation, it was going to sound like I thought this movie was a two or a three, when really I put it at like a five or a six. I think it's a good movie. I, I want to reiterate that just now after this whole tirade, but my final pet peeve the the paper cut on my fingernail about this movie is the fact that it's named gravity <laughs> when does gravity play any part in this movie when is it ever important at the end <laughs> when she succumbs to it
1: i i definitely think that the metaphor is really hazy um the way that i rationalized it was was with some of those feelings that i imparted on it as as gravity having to do with letting something go or letting something fall away and and then the only like physical thing obviously is whenever she has to land and you could maybe view it as the ultimate goal but yes most of the time she is in not zero gravity but infinite falling and it's it's an odd choice for the name
0: i really like the the poetic interpretation you give it the letting something go letting something fall away that resonates with me i like that a lot
1: you just wish that maybe it was it was more in the movie
0: I get that's what they want it to be in the movie. Maybe that's why I didn't think of that. Honestly, was that I didn't I didn't get that from the movie, like we've so painfully drilled into everybody's heads. Who's listening?
1: Yeah, I actually have no idea who's still listening to this. Because this was like, this was straight deep friend talk here. Almost.
0: <laughs> that's that's what the people want, man. Can we just cut this episode? Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll put it at the beginning of episode three that we've cut episode two <laughs> from the show.
1: Well, I feel like we've we've gotten to to address a lot of the 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 spoiler side of things. At at a risk of of, of changing direction a lot, there is one question that I still wanted an answer from in my notes here. How did you feel about? seeing freaking sharif's face have a hole in it oh man
0: that was intense that was gruesome i actually had to look away Ah, yeah from how gruesome that was that was nasty i think also on a related note the whole jump scare with the dead body in the spaceship that was unnecessary I also have in
1: my notes here that I was very pleased that the ISS and the Chinese station both didn't have, like, random dead floating bodies. Because we <laughs> we already had that, and I was like, please don't do it again.
0: Yeah. But no, the Sharif thing was disgusting. And it was one of those, my stomach was already reeling from the whole scene of destruction that had happened before. And then they slap you with a man with a hole in his face. I was like, oh. Yeah. That was, that was a, a lot. It was a lot. But I hope that this all makes sense, what I was trying to say at the beginning. That even though I didn't feel good after I finished watching the movie, even though I feel like I didn't like the things that happened in the movie, I still think it was a very good movie for the things that it tried to make you feel.
1: Is it something that you would watch again?
0: I don't know. Maybe I maybe I would like to watch it again through your lens and try to do what you did with the movie. That might be a, a good experience and a good way to, to try and find some better meaning in what it's trying to say.
1: Uh, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that could totally work for you. I definitely didn't want to imply that, like, man, you got to watch this again. It's more just like as a gauge for for how your experience went. That's something that I feel like a lot of my friends actually use as a ga- as like a an indicator.
0: I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't watch it again the way that I watched it the first time. I'd have to watch it in a completely different light.
1: I was I was very pleased that we had the opportunity, um, and yeah. clearly, I thought it was a worthwhile experience, and you thought it was a worthwhile experience if. A slightly more flawed one um, than maybe I saw it as. So, cool. Did you have any other following or final thoughts on it before we wrap things up?
0: Like like last episode, I'm very happy that we got to take the time to, to do this, to talk to each other about this. I think it was a very insightful discussion for me to think about maybe different ways to watch movies. Likewise for me as well. I think that it was a good movie to watch. I'm glad that I finally got to see it. I'm thankful that you were able to put the blood feud to rest (laughs) by making me watch this movie.
1: I am basically Bill Clinton. I bring the Palestinians and the Israelis together.
0: I don't know who I am in that (laughs) metaphor, but... Either side is not preferable. But no, overall I'm very very happy with getting the time to do this again. I don't know about you, but I'm excited
1: to have a revelation. I'm excited to see what my fate has for me.
0: Do you have any other final thoughts, or is that a wrap on gravity? I
1: I feel like I, I've gotten to say a lot. I, I, I got to learn a whole new way that, that maybe you look at the world and that you look at media. Uh, I, I feel like we got to talk about a lot of really cool things that this movie brought. I'm very satisfied.
0: Excellent. Well then, I think that about covers it for gravity. Cool. And with that, we go to our portion of the episode where we choose... What we're going to do next time. So the last episode, we didn't get to record this part because the first time we did it, the audio was all messed up. So we only got to see the aftermath that Daniel had chosen gravity. Yeah. And now that you've been through the extended two hour aftermath of that, <laughs> we can see the, uh, the, the choosing process live Woo! on Adults Rated. So I've got in front of me here a four-sided die. I've got a note on my phone of four different categories of things. In the first category slot, I've got TV shows. The second category slot, I have games. Third is movies. And category four is books. In each of these categories, uh, I have chosen a specific thing that's in the top of the category, that if I roll it, that's what we'll do for the next episode. I am so ready. Without further ado,
2: I'm rolling the die.
0: It was two. Category two is games. Ooh. So we're back. Next episode with another video game. I'm cool with
1: that. It's it's a uh, it's one that's that's easy to to prepare for compared to a book. I only read books with pictures, so.
0: And as it turns out, I do not have any picture books on this list. We're oh, gonna have a hard time. Yeah. Well, we'll never roll books, so. <laughs> I wouldn't worry too much about that. Do you have any guesses about what I might want to play for next time?
1: I feel like it's got to be something that we experienced recently together. I'm thinking a uh, 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 a movie that has a recently released sequel. So I I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess Blade Runner.
0: Matrix Reloaded.
1: No, I uh, I'm kidding. That's clearly not my my guess. Um
0: oh goodness. It is something recently released, oh really okay, okay
1: oh man the the field is so wide which is which is what makes it difficult but i'm gonna I'm gonna have to just throw something out there and if it's gonna be it's gonna be completely wrong, let's go with
0: super Mario odyssey, oh. I, that's not a bad idea, actually. Put it on your list? I I should put it on my list. I've already played it, and I love it. But, oops, spoilers. (laughs) No. The game I have chosen for us to play next time is Dark Souls Remastered.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Okie dokie. Okie dokie. This comes with the caveat that because Dark Souls is a infamously challenging game for first-time players, I don't expect you to complete the whole thing. I think my first playthrough of it took me 80 hours or so. Goodness. All All I will say is that I expect you to at least complete up to... The section called Anor Londo. A-
1: An Orlando. A in
0: space Orlando? Uh, I'll tell you later. Okay, that's fine. People who have played Dark Souls will know what that is. People who won't will find out next episode. <laughs> Alrighty. that will be done.
1: Is, is, uh, is there, whenever you see a remaster, is it a similar kind of situation as with uh, Secret of Monkey Island, where like there's two different graphics modes that I need to be mindful of?
0: Uh, No, there's not two different graphics modes. It's just that everything's been touched up.
1: I feel like Dark Souls wasn't too bad looking anyway to begin with.
0: Yeah, it it aged pretty well, but I think this will... I think it'll look nice. So, I promise I won't keep choosing remastered things <laughs> in the future. It just happens to be that either the choice this time was between yet another adventure game or a remastered title. Yeah. And I chose the remastered title.
1: I gotta remember that. That means that uh, I'm gonna see it later.
0: Join us next time on Rez for Dark Souls. This has been your host, Riley, and my co-host, Daniel. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. You were on the telephone instead of the internet.
1: Yeah, I think that'll do good. Theoretically, that's supposed to work really well after 50 years or whatever.
0: Uh, At this point, if it doesn't work, it's probably only because of total satellite destruction. Ah, Ironic. (laughs)